0: Chapter Eight of the Book of Werewolves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Werewolves by Sabine Baring Gould. Chapter Eight Folklore Relating to Werewolves. English Folklore is singularly barren of werewolf stories the reason being, that wolves had been extirpated from England under the Anglo-Saxon kings, and therefore ceased to be objects of dread to the people. The traditional belief in werewolfism must, however, have remained long in the popular mind, though at present it has disappeared, for the word occurs in old ballads and romances. Thus in Kempion, O, oh, was it war-wolf in the wood, or was it mermaid in the sea, or was it man or vile woman, my own true love that misshaped thee there is also the romance of william and the werewolf in hartshorn but this professes to be a translation from the french for he of french this fair tale first did translate in ease of english men in english speech in the popular mind the cat or the hare have taken the place of the wolf for witches transformation and we hear often of the hags attending the devil's sabbath in these forms in devonshire They range the moors in the shape of black dogs, and I know a story of two such creatures appearing in an inn and nightly drinking the cider, till the publican shot a silver button over their heads, when they were instantly transformed into two ill-favored old ladies of his acquaintance. On Heathfield, near Tavistock, the wild huntsman rides by full moon with his whoosh-hounds, and a white hare which they pursued was once rescued by a goody returning from market, and discovered to be a transformed young lady." Gervase of tilbury says in his otia imperialia vidimus frequenter in anglia perlunationes homines in lupos mutari quod hominum genus gerulfos gali vocant angli vero vervulf dicunt ver enem anglice virum sonat vulf lupum Gervaise may be right in his derivation of the name, and werewolf may mean manwolf, though I have elsewhere given a different derivation, and one which I suspect is truer. But Gervaise has grounds for his assertion that were signifies man. It is so in Anglo-Saxon, fair in Gothic, fear in Latin, fair in Icelandic, vira, zend, virs, Old Prussian, virs, lettish, vira, Sanskrit, bir bengali. There have been cases of cannibalism in Scotland, but no bestial transformation is hinted at in connection with them. Thus Boethius, in his History of Scotland, tells us of a robber and his daughter who devoured children, and Lindsay, of Pitscotty gives a full account. About this time, 1460, there was a brigand taken with his whole family, who haunted a place in Angus. This mischievous man had an execrable fashion to take all young men and children he could steal away quietly, or take away without knowledge, and eat them, and the younger they were esteemed them the more tender and delicious. For the which cause and damnable abuse he with his wife and barons were all burnt, except a young wench of a year old, who was saved and brought to Dundee, where she was brought up and fostered, and when she came to a woman's years she was condemned and burnt quick for that crime." It is said that when she was coming to the place of execution there gathered a huge multitude of people, and especially of women, cursing her that she was so unhappy to commit so damnable deeds, to whom she turned about with an ireful countenance, saying, Wherefore chide ye with me as if I had committed an unworthy act? Give me credence and trust me. If ye had experience of eating men and women's flesh, ye would think it so delicious that ye would never forbear it again. So, but any sign of repentance... This unhappy traitor died in the sight of the people. Wintoun also has a passage in his Metrical Chronicle regarding a cannibal who lived shortly before his own time, and he may easily have heard about him from surviving contemporaries. It was about the year 1340 when a large portion of Scotland had been devastated by the arms of Edward Third. About Perth there was the country saw waste, that wonder west to see. For until well great space thereby was nother house left nor Herebury of deer there was then such foison profusion that they would ne'er come to the town, so great default was near that stead that money were in hunger dead, a carl they said was near thereby that would set setties, traps commonly children and women for to slay, and swains that he might overtake, and ate them all that he get might truc and cleek till name be that sorry life continued he while waste but folk was the country. We have only to compare these two cases with those recorded in the last two chapters, and we see at once how the popular mind in Great Britain had lost the idea of connecting change of form with cannibalism. A man guilty of the crimes committed by the Angus brigand, or the Carl of Perth, would have been regarded as a werewolf in France or Germany, and would have been tried for lycanthropy. S. Jerome, by the way, brought a sweeping charge against the Scots. He visited Gaul in his youth about three-eighty, and writes, "'When I was a young man in Gaul, I may have seen the Atticotti, a British people who live upon human flesh, and when they find herds of pigs, droves of cattle, or flocks of sheep in the woods, they cut off the haunches of the men and the breasts of the women, and these they regard as great dainties. In other words, they preferred the shepherd to his flock.' Gibbon, who quotes this passage, says on it, If in the neighborhood of the commercial and literary town of Glasgow, a race of cannibals has really existed, we may contemplate in the period of the Scottish history the opposite extremes of savage and civilized life. Such reflections tend to enlarge the circle of our ideas, and to encourage the pleasing hope that New Zealand may produce in a future age the hume of the Southern Hemisphere." if traditions of werewolves are scanty in england it is quite the reverse if we cross the water in the south of france it is still believed that fate has destined certain men to be lycanthropists that they are transformed into wolves at full moon the desire to run comes upon them at night they leave their beds jump out of a window and plunge into a fountain after the bath they come out covered with dense fur, walking on all fours, and commence a raid over fields and meadows, through woods and villages, biting all beasts and human beings that come in their way. At the approach of dawn, they return to the spring, plunge into it, lose their furry skins, and regain their deserted beds. Sometimes the lougarou is said to appear under the form of a white dog, or to be loaded with chains, but there is probably a confusion of ideas between the werewolf and the church-dog, bar guest padefoy or by whatever name the animal supposed to haunt a churchyard is designated in the perigord the werewolf is called l'oulerou. certain men especially bastards are obliged at each full moon to transform themselves into these diabolic beasts it is always at night that the fit comes on the lycanthropist dashes out of a window springs into a well and after having struggled in the water for a few moments rises from it, dripping, and invested with a goat-skin which the devil has given him. In this condition the lulerous run upon four legs, pass the night in ranging over the country and in biting and devouring all the dogs they meet. At break of day they lay aside their goatskins and return home. Often they are ill in consequence of having eaten tough old hounds, and they vomit up their undigested paws. One great nuisance to them is the fact that they may be wounded or killed in their lulerous state with the first effusion of blood their diabolic covering vanishes, and they are recognized, to the disgrace of their families. A werewolf may easily be detected, even when devoid of his skin, for his hands are broad and his fingers short, and there are always some hairs in the hollow of his hand. In Normandy, those who are doomed to be loup clothe themselves every evening with a skin called their air, or ur, which is alone from the devil. When they run in their transformed state, the evil one accompanies them and scourges them at the foot of every cross they pass. The only way in which a werewolf can be liberated from this cruel bondage is by stabbing him three times in the forehead with a knife. However, some people less addicted to allopathic treatment consider that three drops of blood drawn by a needle will be sufficient to procure release. According to an opinion of the Vulgar in the same province, the loup-garou is sometimes a metamorphosis forced upon the body of a damned person who after having been tormented in his grave has torn his way out of it the first stage in the process consists in his devouring the seer cloth which enveloped his face then his moans and muffled howls ring from the tomb through the gloom of the night the earth of the grave begins to heave and at last with a scream surrounded by a phosphorescent glare and exhaling a fetid odour he bursts away as a wolf in Le Bessin, they attribute to sorcerers the power of metamorphosing certain men into beasts, but the form of a dog is that principally affected by them. In Norway, it is believed that there are persons who can assume the form of a wolf or bear, who's a bion, and again resume their own. This property is either imparted to them by the troll-men, or those possessing it are themselves trolls. In a hamlet, in the midst of a forest, there dwelt a cottager named Lass and his wife, one day he went out into the forest to fell a tree, but had forgot to cross himself and to say his paternoster, so that some troll or wolf-witch, Farga Mor, obtained power over him and transformed him into a wolf. His wife mourned him for many years, but one Christmas Eve there came a beggar woman, very poor and ragged, to the door, and the good woman of the house took her in, fed her well, and entreated her kindly." At her departure the beggar-woman said that the wife would probably see her husband again, as he was not dead, but was wandering in the forest as a wolf. Towards nightfall the wife went to her pantry to place in it a piece of meat for the morrow, when, on turning to go out, she perceived a wolf standing before her, raising itself with its paws on the pantry steps, regarding her with sorrowful and hungry looks. Seeing this she exclaimed, "'If I were sure that thou wert my own lass, I would give thee a bit of meat.' At that instant the wolf skin fell off, and her husband stood before her, in the clothes he wore on the unlucky morning when she had last beheld him. Finns, Lapps, and Russians are held in particular aversion, because the Swedes believe that they have the power to change people into wild beasts. During the last year of the war with Russia, when Kalmar was overrun with an unusual number of wolves, it was generally said that the Russians had transformed their Swedish prisoners into wolves and sent them home to invest the country. In Denmark the following stories are told. A man, who from his childhood had been a werewolf, when returning one night with his wife from a merry-making, observed that the hour was at hand when the evil usually came upon him. Giving therefore the reins to his wife, he descended from the vehicle, saying to her, "'If anything comes to thee, only strike at it with thine apron.' He then withdrew, but immediately after, the woman, as she was sitting in the vehicle, was attacked by a werewolf. She did as the man had enjoined her and struck it with her apron.' from which it rived a portion, and then ran away. After some time the man returned, holding in his mouth the rent portion of his wife's apron, on seeing which she cried out in terror, "'Good Lord, man! Why, thou art a werewolf!' "'Thank thee, wife,' said he, now I am free.' And from that time he was no more afflicted. If a female at midnight stretches between four sticks the membrane which envelops the foal when it is brought forth, and creeps through it naked, She will bear children without pain. But all the boys will be werewolves, and all the girls maras. By day, the werewolf has the human form, though he may be known by the meeting of his eyebrows above the nose. At a certain time of night, he has the form of a dog on three legs. It is only when another person tells him that he is a werewolf, or reproaches him with being such, that a man can be freed from the ban. According to a Danish popular song, a hero, transformed by his stepmother into a bear, fights with a knight. For tis she who hath bewitched me, a woman false and fell, bound an iron girdle around me, if thou canst not break this belt, knight I'll thee destroy. The noble made the Christian sign, the girdle snapped, the bear was changed, and see, he was a lusty knight, his father's realm regained. Kimpeviser page 147. When an old bear in Ophoden's Prestigjeld was killed, after it had caused the death of six men and sixty horses, it was found to be girded with a similar girdle. In Schleswig and Holstein they say that if the werewolf be thrice addressed by his baptismal name, he resumes his human form. On a hot harvest day some reapers lay down in the field to take their noontide sleep, when one who could not sleep observed that the fellow next to him rose softly, and having girded himself with a strap, became a werewolf. A young man, belonging to Jägerup, returning late one night from Billund, was attacked, when near Jägerup, by three werewolves, and would probably have been torn to pieces, had he not saved himself by leaping into a rye-field, for there they had no more power over him. At Kazeburg, on the isle of Uzidom, a man and his wife were busy in the field making hay when after some time the woman said to the man that she had no more peace, she could stay no longer, and went away. But she had previously desired her husband to promise that if perchance a wild beast should come that way, he would cast his hat at it and then run away, and it would do him no injury. She had been gone but a short while when a wolf came swimming across the swine, and ran directly toward the haymakers. The man threw his hat at it, which the animal instantly tore to rags but in the meantime a boy had run up with a pitchfork, and he stabbed the wolf from behind. In the same instant it became changed, and all saw that the boy had killed the man's wife. Formerly there were individuals in the neighborhood of Steine, who, by putting on a certain girdle, could transform themselves into werewolves. A man of the neighborhood who had such a girdle forgot one day when going out to lock it up, as was his wont. During his absence his little son chanced to find it he buckled it round him and was instantaneously turned into an animal, to all outward appearance like a bundle of peat straw, and he rolled about like an unwieldy bear. When those who were in the room perceived this they hastened in search of the father, who was found in time to come and unbuckle the belt, before the child had done any mischief. The boy afterwards said that when he had put on the girdle he was seized with such a raging hunger that he was ready to tear in pieces and devour all that came in his way. "'The girdle is supposed to be made of human skin,' and to be three breadths wide in east friesland it is believed when seven girls succeed each other in one family that among them one is of necessity a werewolf so that youths are slow in seeking one of seven sisters in marriage according to a curious lithuanian story related by schleicher in his Litauische märchen a person who is a werewolf or bear has to remain kneeling in one spot for one hundred years before he can hope to obtain release from his bestial form In the Netherlands they relate the following tale. A man had once gone out with his bow to attend a shooting match at Roos, but when about halfway to the place he saw on a sudden a large wolf spring from a thicket and rush towards a young girl who was sitting in a meadow by the roadside watching cows. The man did not long hesitate, but quickly drawing forth an arrow took aim, and luckily hit the wolf in the right side, so that the arrow remained sticking in the wound, and the animal fled howling to the wood. On the following day he heard that a serving man of the burgomaster's household lay at the point of death, in consequence of having been shot in the right side on the preceding day. This so excited the archer's curiosity that he went to the wounded man and requested to see the arrow. He recognized it immediately as one of his own. Then, having desired all present to leave the room, he persuaded the man to confess that he was a werewolf and that he had devoured little children. On the following day he died." among the bulgarians and slovakians the werewolf is called Vrkolak, a name resembling that given it by the modern greeks Boukolakas. the greek werewolf is closely related to the vampire the lycanthropist falls into a cataleptic trance during which his soul leaves his body enters that of a wolf and ravens for blood on the return of the soul the body is exhausted and aches as though it had been put through violent exercise after death lycanthropists become vampires They are believed to frequent battlefields in wolf or hyena shapes, and to suck the breath from dying soldiers, or to enter houses and steal the infants from their cradles. Modern Greeks call any savage-looking man with dark complexion and with distorted misshapen limbs a and suppose him to be invested with the power of running in wolf form. The Serbs connect the vampire and the werewolf together, and call them by one name, Vlokoslak, these rage chiefly in the depths of winter they hold their annual gatherings and at them divest themselves of their wolf skins which they hang on the trees around them if any one succeeds in obtaining the skin and burning it the valkoslak is thenceforth disenchanted the power to become a werewolf is obtained by drinking the water which settles in a footprint left in clay by a wolf among the white russians the vavkalak is a man who has incurred the wrath of the devil and the evil one punishes him by transforming him into a wolf and sending him among his relations, who recognize him and feed him well. He is a most amiably disposed werewolf, for he does no mischief and testifies his affection for his kindred by licking their hands. He cannot, however, remain long in any place, but is driven from house to house and from hamlet to hamlet by an irresistible passion for change of scene. This is an ugly superstition, for it sets a premium on standing well with the evil one." The Slovakians merrily term a drunkard of Lukodlak, because, forsooth, he makes a beast of himself. A Slovakian household werewolf tale closes this chapter. The Poles have their werewolves, which rage twice in the year, at Christmas and at Midsummer. According to a Polish story, if a witch lays a girdle of human skin on the threshold of a house in which a marriage is being celebrated, the bride and bridegroom, and bridesmaids and groomsmen, should they step across it, are transformed into wolves. After three years, however, the witch will cover them with skins with the hair turned outward. Immediately they will recover their natural form. On one occasion a witch cast a skin of two scanty dimensions over the bridegroom so that his tail was left uncovered. He resumed his human form, but retained his lupine caudal appendage. The Russians call the werewolf Oberot, which signifies one transformed. The following recipe is given by them for becoming one. He who desires to become an Oberot, let him seek in the forest a hewn-down tree, let him stab it with a small copper knife and walk around the tree, repeating the following incantation on the sea, on the ocean, on the island, on BUYON, on the empty pasture, gleams the moon on an ash-dock lying in a green wood in a gloomy vale, toward the stock wandereth a shaggy wolf, horned cattle seeking for his sharp white fangs, but the wolf enters not the forest but the wolf dives not into the shadowy vale. Moon, moon, gold-horned moon, check the flight of bullets, blunt the hunter's knives, break the shepherd's cudgels, cast wild fear upon all cattle, on men, on all creeping things, that they may not catch the gray wolf, that they may not rend his warm skin. My word is binding, more binding than sleep, more binding than the promise of a hero then he springs thrice over the tree and runs into the forest transformed into a wolf in the ancient bohemian lexicon of vasarad a d twelve o two the werewolf is called Vilkodlak and is explained as faunus Safaric says under that head incubi sepi improbi existunt mulieribus et earum peragunt concubitum quos demones gali ducios nun cupant. And in another place, Vilcodlassi incubi sive invidi, ab inviando passim cum animalibus, unde et incubi dicunta ab incubando homines, It est stuprando quos romani faunos ficarios dicunt. That the same belief in lycanthropy exists in Armenia is evident from the following story, told by Hachthausen, in his Transcaucasia, Leipzig, three hundred twenty two. A man once saw a wolf, which had carried off a child, dash past him. He pursued it hastily, but was unable to overtake it. At last he came upon the hands and feet of a child, and a little further on he found a cave, in which lay a wolf skin. This he cast into a fire, and immediately a woman appeared, who howled and tried to rescue the skin from the flames. The man, however, resisted, and as soon as the hide was consumed the woman had vanished in the smoke in india on account of the prevalence of the doctrine of metempsychosis the belief in transformation is widely diffused traces of genuine lycanthropy are abundant in all regions whither buddhism is reached in ceylon in tibet and in china we find it still forming a portion of the national creed in the pancha tantra is a story of an enchanted Brahmin's son who by day was a serpent by night a man Vikamraditya's father the son of indra was condemned to be an ass by day and a man by night. A modern Indian tale is to this effect. A prince marries a female ape, but his brothers wed handsome princesses. At a feast given by the queen to her step-daughters, there appears an exquisitely beautiful lady in gorgeous robes. This is none other than the she-ape, who has laid aside her skin for the occasion. The prince slips out of the room and burns the skin, so that his wife is prevented from resuming her favorite appearance. Nathaniel Pierce gives an account of an Abyssinian superstition very similar to that prevalent in Europe. He says that in Abyssinia the gold and silversmiths are highly regarded, but that the iron-workers are looked upon with contempt, as an inferior grade of beings. Their kinsmen even ascribe to them the power of transforming themselves into hyenas or other savage beasts. All convulsions and hysterical disorders are attributed to the effect of their evil eye. The Amhara call them Buddha, the Tigre, Tibib there are also mohammedan and jewish buddhas it is difficult to explain the origin of this strange superstition these buddhas are distinguished from other people by wearing gold earrings and coffin declares that he has often found hyenas with these rings in their ears even among the beasts which he has shot or speared himself but how the rings got into their ears is more than coffin was able to ascertain beside their power to transform themselves into hyenas or other wild beasts all sorts of other strange things are ascribed to them, and the Abyssinians are firmly persuaded that they rob the graves by midnight, and no one would venture to touch what is called quanter, or dried meat, in their houses, though they would not object to partake of fresh meat if they had seen the animal from which it came killed before them. Coffin relates, as witness of the fact, the following story. Among his servants was a Buddha, who, one evening, whilst it was still light, came to his master and asked leave of absence till the following morning he obtained the required leave and departed but scarcely had coffin turned his head when one of his men exclaimed look there he is changing himself into hyena pointing in the direction taken by the buddha coffin turned to look and although he did not witness the process of transformation the young man had vanished from the spot on which he had been standing not a hundred paces distant and in his place was a hyena running away the place was a plain without either bush or tree to impede the view Next morning, the young man returned and was charged by his companions with the transformation. This he rather acknowledged than denied, for he excused himself on the plea that it was the habit of his class. This statement of Pierce is corroborated by a note contributed by Sir Gardner Wilkinson to Rawlinson's Herodotus. A class of people in Abyssinia are believed to change themselves into hyenas when they like. On my appearing to discredit it. I was told by one who lived for years there that no well-informed person doubted it, and that he was once walking with one of them when he happened to look away for a moment, and on turning again toward his companion he saw him trotting off in the shape of a hyena. He met him afterwards in this old form. These worthies are blacksmiths." G. W. A precisely similar superstition seems to have existed in America. For Joseph Acosta relates that the ruler of a city in Mexico, who was sent for by the predecessor of Montezuma, transformed himself, before the eyes of those who were sent to seize him, into an eagle, a tiger, and an enormous serpent. He yielded at last, and was condemned to death. No longer in his own house, he was unable to work miracles so as to save his life. THE BISHOP OF CHIAPA, A PROVINCE OF Guatemala, IN A WRITING PUBLISHED IN 1702, ASCRIBES THE SAME POWER TO THE NAGUALS, OR NATIONAL PRIESTS, WHO LABORED TO BRING BACK TO THE RELIGION OF THEIR ANCESTORS THE CHILDREN BROUGHT UP AS CHRISTIANS BY THE GOVERNMENT. AFTER VARIOUS CEREMONIES, WHEN THE CHILDREN INSTRUCTED ADVANCED TO EMBRACE HIM, THE Nagual SUDDENLY ASSUMED A FRIGHTFUL ASPECT AND UNDER THE FORM OF A LION OR TIGER APPEARED CHAINED TO THE YOUNG CHRISTIAN CONVERT de voyage Tome to page one eighty seven among the north american indians the belief in transformation is very prevalent the following story closely resembles one very prevalent all over the world one indian fixed his residence on the borders of the great lake taking with him only a dog big with young in due time this dog brought forth eight pups whenever the indian went out to fish he tied up the pups to prevent the straying of the litter Several times as he approached his tent he heard noises proceeding from it, which sounded like the talking, the laughing, the crying, the wail, and the merriment of children, but on entering it he only perceived the pups tied up as usual. His curiosity being excited by the noises he had heard, he determined to watch and learn whence these sounds proceeded, and what they were. One day he pretended to go out to fish, but instead of doing so he concealed himself in a convenient place. In a short time he again heard voices, and rushing suddenly into the tent beheld some beautiful children sporting and laughing, with the dog-skins lying by their side. He threw the dog-skins into the fire, and the children, retaining their proper forms, grew up and were the ancestors of the dog-rib nation. Traditions of the North American Indians by T. A. Jones, 1830, volume 2, page 18. In the same work is a curious story entitled The Mother of the World, which bears a close analogy to another world-wide myth. A woman marries a dog. By night the dog lays aside its skin and appears as a man. This may be compared with the tale of Bjorn and Bera already given. I shall close this chapter with a Slovakian household tale given by T. T. Hanush in the third volume of Zeitschrift für Deutsche Mythologie. THE DAUGHTER OF THE VLUKOLAK There was once a father who had nine daughters, and they were all marriageable, but the youngest was the most beautiful. The father was a werewolf. One day it came into his head, What is the good of having to support so many girls? So he determined to put them all out of the way. He went accordingly into the forest to hew wood, and he ordered his daughters to let one of them bring him his dinner. It was the eldest who brought it. Why, how come you so early with the food? asked the woodcutter. Truly, father, I wish to strengthen you lest you should fall upon us if famished. A good lass, sit down whilst I eat.' He ate, and whilst he ate he thought of a scheme. He rose and said, "'My girl, come, and I will show you a pit I have been digging.' And what is the pit for? That we may be buried in it when we die, for poor folk will not be cared for much after they are dead and gone." So the girl went with him to the side of the deep pit. "'Now here,' said the werewolf, "'you must die and be cast in there.' She begged for her life, but all in vain so he laid hold of her and cast her into the grave. Then he took a great stone and flung it in upon her and crushed her head, so the poor thing breathed out her soul. When the werewolf had done this he went back to his work, and as dusk came on the second daughter arrived, bringing him food. He told her of the pit, and brought her to it, and cast her in, and killed her as the first. And so he dealt with all his girls up to the last. The youngest knew well that her father was a werewolf, and she was grieved that her sisters did not return. SHE THOUGHT, NOW WHERE CAN THEY BE? HAS MY FATHER KEPT THEM FOR COMPANIONSHIP OR TO HELP HIM IN HIS WORK? SO SHE MADE THE FOOD WHICH SHE WAS TO TAKE TO HIM, AND CREPT CAUTIOUSLY THROUGH THE WOOD. WHEN SHE CAME NEAR THE PLACE WHERE HER FATHER WORKED SHE HEARD HIS STROKES FELLING TIMBER AND SMELT SMOKE. SHE SAW PRESENTLY A LARGE FIRE AND TWO HUMAN HEADS ROASTING AT IT. TURNING FROM THE FIRE SHE WENT IN THE DIRECTION OF THE AXE STROKES, AND FOUND HER FATHER. SEE, SAID SHE, FATHER, I HAVE BROUGHT YOU FOOD. That is a good lass, said he. Now stack the wood for me whilst I eat. But where are my sisters? she asked. Down in yon valley, drawing wood, he replied. Follow me, and I will bring you to them. They came to the pit, then he told her that he had dug it for a grave. Now, said he, you must die, and be cast into the pit with your sisters. Turn aside, father, she asked, whilst I strip off my clothes, and then slay me if you will. He turned aside as she requested, and then, chick! She gave him a push, and he tumbled headlong into the hole he had dug for her. She fled for her life, for the werewolf was not injured, and he soon would scramble out of the pit. Now she hears his howls resounding through the gloomy alleys of the forest, and swift as the wind she runs. She hears the tramp of his approaching feet and the snuffle of his breath. Then she casts behind her her handkerchief. The werewolf seizes this with teeth and nails, and rends it till it is reduced to tiny ribbons. In another moment he is again in pursuit, foaming at the mouth and howling dismally whilst his red eyes gleam like burning coals. As he gains on her she casts behind her her gown and bids him tear that. It seizes the gown and rives it to shreds, then again he pursues. This time she casts behind her her apron, next her petticoat, then her shift, and at last runs much in the condition in which she was born. Again the werewolf approaches. She bounds out of the forest into a hay-field, and hides herself in the smallest heap of hay. Her father enters the field, runs howling about it in search of her, cannot find her, and begins to upset the different haycocks. all the while growling and gnashing his gleaming white fangs in his rage at her having escaped him. The foam flakes drop at every step from his mouth, and his skin is reeking with sweat." before he has reached the smallest bundle of hay his strength leaves him he feels exhaustion begin to creep over him and he retires to the forest the king goes out hunting every day one of his dogs carries food to the hayfield which has most unaccountably been neglected by the haymakers for 3 days the king following the dog discovers the fair damsel not exactly in the straw but up to her neck in hay she is carried hay and all to the palace where she becomes his wife making only one stipulation before becoming his bride, and that is, that no beggar shall be permitted to enter the palace. After some years a beggar does get in, the beggar being, of course, none other than her werewolf father. He steals upstairs, enters the nursery, cuts the throats of the two children born by the queen to her lord, and lays the knife under her pillow. In the morning the king, supposing his wife to be the murderess, drives her from home with the dead princes hung about her neck, a hermit comes to the rescue and restores the babies to life the king finds out his mistake is reunited to the lady out of the hay and the werewolf is cast off a high cliff into the sea and that is the end of him the king the queen and the princes live happily and may be living yet for no notice of their death has appeared in the newspaper this story bears some resemblance to one told by von hahn in his griechische und Albanesische Märchen. I remember having heard a very similar one in the Pyrenees, but the man who flies from the werewolf is one who, after having stripped off all his clothes, rushes into a cottage and jumps into a bed. The werewolf dares not or cannot follow. The cause of his flight was also different. He was a freemason who had divulged the secret, and the werewolf was the master of his lodge in pursuit of him. In the Bayanet story, there is nothing similar to the last part of the Slovakian tale, and in the Greek one, the transformation and the pursuit are omitted, though the woman-eater is called Dog's Head, much as an outlaw in the north of Europe was said to be wolf-headed. It is worthy of notice, in the tale of the daughter of the Ulkolak, that the werewolf fit is followed by great exhaustion. Footnote. Compare this with the exhaustion following a berserker fit, and that which succeeded the attacks to which Mr. Bertrand was subject. And a footnote and that the wolf is given clothes to tear, much as in the Danish stories already related. There does not seem to be any indication of his having changed his shape, at least no change is mentioned, his hands are spoken of, and he swears and curses his daughter in broad Slovakian. The fit very closely resembles that to which Skalagrim, the Icelander, was subject. It is a pity that the maid Brak in the Icelandic tale did not fall upon her legs like the young lady in the hay. End of chapter 8